0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one whom I said. A man is coming after me who ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. I do not know him, but the reason why I came baptizing with water was that he might be made known to Israel. John testified further, saying, I saw the Spirit come down from a, down like a dove from heaven and remain upon him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. On whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. But let me ask you, by show of hands, if you don't mind, I I hate it when priests do this. I know, I get it. I hate it when I'm at homilies, and I hear that too. But I ask you to raise your hand if you ever had this happen to you. But I just want to get it. There's a whole point to this. I want to see how common it is. All right? Raise your hand if, if you've ever had a religious argument, disagreement with someone. Right? Obviously, look, if you're looking from my perspective, the vast majority of you, to ha- you've had religious arguments, disagreements, probably with family members, co-workers, friends, family. I remember about the first time I had a religious argument, I was 17 years old. And at that time, I was a senior in high school, and I was dating a... Protestant young lady. Again, dating in quotes. I mean, in high school, are we really dating? What the heck is that? Who knows what we're... You're just trying to pretend you're going out. I don't know. So I quote-unquote dating in high school. And so I was dating this Protestant girl, and she'd invite me over to her house so I got to know the family really well. And she'd invite me to her, her Sunday service. And so I'd always go. I was always very, very polite. So I was that one Catholic kid in that group. And oh, they hated me. (laughs) And they'd always make comments about the Catholic Church. Little comments here and there. The typical stuff you hear about. Because I don't know if you realize this, but many people have misconceptions about us. Oh, you Catholics, you're always worshiping Mary. You ever heard that one before? Oh, of course. Oh, your masses are so boring. You, You always hear that comment as well. And they'd always try to make her break up with me because I refused to convert. At 17, again, I had no idea why I was Catholic. I had no idea how to defend my Catholic faith against all of the the onslaught, but I was stubborn. Then one day we were having an argument again. And then this, to my shame, I I, I say this, because when I look back on it now, years later. She was about to break up with me. I said, no, no, it doesn't matter. And here was what I, I still remember what I said to her. I said, it doesn't matter if you're Protestant or if you're Catholic, all religions are the same. It's just about being a good person. How many of you have heard that before? I I guarantee you, right now, if you stop some random person out on the street and you say, what is the purpose of religion? they'll probably say something like that it doesn't matter whether you're catholic protestant whether you're baptist whether you go to the father's house whether you go to whatever 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 church you want to go to whether you're mormon you'll have a witness it doesn't matter if you're muslim a buddhist it doesn't matter as long as you're nice That, my friends, is the prevailing worldview today. Where does that come from, by the way? Have you ever wondered where that idea came from that all religions are practically just the same? It comes from an 18th century philosopher out of Germany by the name of Immanuel Kant. He wrote a book called The Critique of Pure Reason, In it, Immanuel Kant, who some say that there's probably no thinker in modern history that has had a a dominant influence on our civilization than him. He's probably the dominant viewpoint currently. his, His critique of pure reason has permeated our worldview. And in the critique of pure reason, he essentially said that human reason cannot access objective reality. And that religion cannot make any truth claims. It cannot. And so what he basically does is that he takes religion and he reduces religion, because religion can't say anything about truth. And so he reduces it down to mere ethics, to do nice things. That's what religion is. That's all it is. That truth cannot be named. And that religion is simply about practice. And it's all about a private concern. Does that sound familiar to you? That idea is everywhere. How are we to respond? because we swim in that culture right now. We breathe it. What is the point of religion? And in particular about a Catholic church, by the way, one of the reasons why the Catholic church is irritating to many people is that we make bold truth claims and that reality is objective because what Kant would say is that truth is subjective. Meaning, oh, how about this line? I'm sure many of you will nod your heads and say, I've heard this before. There's only my truth and your truth. I see many of you nodding your heads. Oh yeah, that's a very popular one. Don't you dare put your truth upon me, you Catholic church. Because what does a church say? We say that truth is objective, regardless of of, of what we vote for. No, or, no matter what the trends in the culture are, we say, no, the truth is objective, no matter what I, what I think or what I feel. It is my duty to understand it and to seek under, and, and, to, and to study it, not change it. And when the Catholic Church boldly says that we are the fullness of truth, do you see now why our perspective, our viewpoint, and our bold claim irritates people. What then, my friends, is the point of all of this? We have the answer in the second reading today. Did you hear it? Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, Corinth was a major trading city in the ancient world. It's in today, modern Greece. And so the city is still called Corinth. You go there today, it's still called the same city. And like every major port city, every vice, human vice you can think of was present there. So imagine, think of a modern day Las Vegas or modern-day San Francisco, a Los Angeles, a New York City, a cosmopolitan city with everything before you at your fingertips. That was Corinth. And he's writing to the church there. Now, the Catholic Church at the time period, when Paul wrote this letter, would have been a small community, maybe in the hundreds at the max, in the city, probably in the thousands. So the Catholic Church was very small there. And so they're surrounded by a culture which is radically different than their own. And so Paul says this. To the church of God in Corinth, to you who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now the next line is key. Called to be holy. There it is. That is the heart and essence of the Christian life, the purpose of it. It is to be holy. Now, what does holy mean? We have to lay out the groundwork, and all of a sudden, the drama will will start to rise, and we'll see it. The first time we hear that word holy, Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. God is creating the world. And we know the creation narrative God creates, He separates the earth from the sky, water, the air, the animals. And then he creates us as the pinnacle of his creation. And then on the seventh day, it said, and we know this line, it said on the seventh day, that this day shall be holy and he shall rest on this day. Why? Because on this day, as as all of our work that we've done for the previous other days, now is sanctified and participating in God. And so we rest with him. That's the first time that word holy comes in. The next chapter, chapter 3, is the story of the fall of Adam and Eve. The word holy would disappear for the rest of the 50 chapters of Genesis. Makes no mention of it after the fall of our first parents. Because what happened was, when sin enters into the world, that holiness which we originally had is destroyed through sin. And we lost it. So holiness is never mentioned for the rest of Genesis. Until Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. It's a story now of Moses who encounters the burning bush. Do you remember what God said to Moses? When the burning bush was in flame, he yelled at him. He said, Moses, Moses, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. The word now suddenly appears again. That that Moses, as he approaches God in the burning bush, the word now returns, holy. Moses, in the presence of God, take off your sandals because you are in the presence of the creator holy. The next following chapters, all the way up into Exodus 19, Moses and the Jewish people receive their purpose. God says to them, you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That is the essence of what Israel is called to be, a people who are supposed to radiate God's holiness. How do they do (laughs) you read all throughout the old testament they constantly fall constantly fail god always because again humans as as human beings we are weak (laughs) but god never gives up what is holiness i think the catechism of the catholic church puts it beautifully in paragraph twenty-eight oh nine, the catechism says holiness. Now this this is a esoteric definition, but it's beautiful. Holiness is the inaccessible center of God. <laughs> what does that mean? The inaccessible center of God, meaning holiness is the very life of the Holy Trinity. That is what holiness means. The very heart, the very center of the Trinity, of the Father loving the Son, Jesus, Jesus loving the Father, and the love between Father and Son, the Holy Spirit. It is the essence of the nature of God, holiness. Thomas Aquinas would put it more poetically. He said that holiness is the perfection of love. The most popular Bible verse when Jesus was alive in the first century was Leviticus chapter 11. In Leviticus chapter 11, it said, Be holy, for your God is holy. Why does Leviticus chapter 11 say that? You see, you and I are why we're created. We're created to participate in the life of the Trinity. We are called to be radically transformed. Or as the Catechism beautifully says, we are called to be divinized. To become God-like. Not gods, no, but to participate in the very nature of God himself. And you and I are destined for it. Now compare that view of of what Christianity is, is truly. That beautiful, high drama of holiness compared to just be nice do you see how radically different that is and oh i tell you holiness is hard amen holiness is hard it requires discipline It requires hours of prayer it requires fidelity requires to lay down our lives ah but As John the Baptist beautifully said, as he sees Jesus coming, notice what happens here next. When he sees Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Do you see what Jesus does here? He attacks what happened in Genesis 3 when our life And the Trinity was destroyed by original sin, Christ comes to heal that wound. And he will sacrifice himself so that you and I will have the grace and the ability to become the saints we were created to be. That, my friends, if anybody asks you, what is the whole point? of the Catholic faith, this whole Christian thing. Our only answer is to be holy.